listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. This episode covers the life of Christ and the Gospel of Luke. You can enjoy more messages like this with the free Courage Matters app, available in your app store. If you'd like to request Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event, click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. Today our time is going to be like drinking from a fire hose. I know that typically we don't think of coming to church and working, but I'm going to put you to work a little bit today. We're going to work a little bit. We're going to use our fingers. We're going to let our fingers do the walking. I'm going to throw a lot of scriptures out at you, a lot of passages from the Bible. You might get to some of them, others you might not get to, but if you write them down, the things that you write down are the things you remember. The things you remember are the things that you apply. The things that you apply in the Word of God are the things that are going to change your life. And before you know it, we're going to be done with our time this morning. You're going to say, how could our time go so fast? That's because God's going to move. God's already begun to move in your heart. He's already begun to move in our midst. So get ready to write things down. Get ready to look at them for yourself in the Bible. When you look at things in your own Bible, with your own eyes, in your own Bible, Later on, you'll be able to find them in your Bible. You'll be able to apply them in your own life. So look at these passages for yourself. Now, we're going through the whole Gospel of Luke, but first, we're going to start off with the book of Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, turn with me in our Father's Word, Deuteronomy chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. And when we're done with our time together, you're going to have an understanding of Jesus that maybe you forgot about, or maybe you never had in the first place. When we're done, you're going to have an understanding of Jesus that maybe you never had before, or maybe you had at one time and you forgot about. You're going to leave here fired up in your walk with God. You're going to leave here encouraged and inspired in your walk with God. And who couldn't use a little bit of inspiration in these dark days we live in, right? You ready? You ready to hear from the Lord? Are you ready to hear from God? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. I feel like I'm on fire today. feel like I'm ready to go. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 9. When you come into the land that the Lord God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of those nations. The idea in the Bible very clearly that God's people are not to be like the people of the world. It's Christianity 101. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as an offering. Well, few of us would think about doing that today. But how about this? Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer, good for us to remember this October as Halloween is fast approaching, or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. Yes, God does require of his people to be blameless. That's fundamental for anybody who wants to walk with God. That's the journey that you're on and I'm on. God wants you to walk in a blameless way. For these nations which you are about to dispossess, listen to fortune tellers and to diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not allowed you to do this. It's not acceptable for God's people. Verse 15, here's what is acceptable for God's people. For the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. This is Moses talking about a prophet who would be like him who would come in the future. 
Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. In other words, just because somebody doesn't want to listen to the words of that prophet who will be speaking my words doesn't give them an excuse. I will require that they will listen to that prophet, that person who has my words in their mouth. And Moses was the one who was given by God first, considered among Judaism to this day the greatest of all the Jews who lived. The the law came through Moses. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The prophet of God, the one who spoke the very words of God. Remember Moses met with God in the tent of meeting as a man meets with a man. So Moses met with the Lord and his face changed because he saw the Lord in such a way, such an amazing way that he had to wear a veil over his face. And what Moses is saying under the direction of God is that God will be sending another prophet after Moses among, from among the Jewish people, from among their brothers. And this is who they're supposed to listen to. This is a prophecy given in Deuteronomy 18 about a prophet who would be coming. Now look with me at John's gospel in John chapter 5, verse 46. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. In John chapter 5, look at these potent words of Scripture. Verse 46, Jesus says, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. Jesus, either a liar or truly Lord. Jesus saying that Moses wrote about him. Well, what did Moses write about Jesus? Look with me at John chapter 6, verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, the sign that Jesus had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Do you see the people are connecting the dots here? This is that. This is the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy 18. Now, you and I might not realize it that way because we might not necessarily be Jews. We might not necessarily be well-versed in the Old Testament. But if you were a devout Jew, if you were understanding what the Old Testament taught, you would understand the centrality of Deuteronomy 18, that God promised through Moses, through Deuteronomy 18, that there would be a prophet coming like Moses who would do miraculous signs and wonders and who would speak the very words of Almighty God. And that's what's being told here. That's what's being clarified here for us. Now look with me at John chapter 7 verse 40. Again, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. You see, the people, the Jewish people are connecting the dots. John's gospel written to a Jewish audience. That's why he says in John's gospel that there's a special Sabbath. Jews didn't only have a Sabbath on a Friday. There were also special festivals in which they would have special Sabbaths. John portrays Jesus as being crucified as the Passover lamb. While the Passover lambs were being offered, Jesus, the ultimate Passover lamb, was crucified. So John's audience is a Jewish audience. So it's no coincidence that we find the people 
people saying, this is the prophet. Which prophet? Deuteronomy chapter 18. That prophet. They're connecting the dots. Look with me at John chapter 8, verse 28. So Jesus said to them, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. Deuteronomy 18, I will put my words in his mouth. You are to listen to everything that he says. Look with me at John chapter 12. See, I told you this is going to be like drinking from a fire hose. Did I lie to you this morning? John chapter 12, verses 48 and 49. The one who rejects me, Jesus said, and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Deuteronomy 18. I'll put my words in his mouth. You're to listen to everything that he has to say. Jesus would be out of his mind to be telling the people that he speaks every word from the Father if he was out to lunch on that. Now, if Jesus was correct and had a correct self-assessment, then he'd be perfectly in his place to be saying what he's saying. Look with me again at John chapter 17. In verse 8, For I have given them the words you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. One of the things that's fundamental to your understanding of Jesus, one of the things that you have to understand that's fundamental to your understanding of Jesus is that he is God's prophet. He is our prophet, capital P, the ultimate prophet. If anybody respects Moses, then you would respect Jesus even more because he's the prophet like Moses, but greater than Moses. If you don't believe that, take some time this week to look at the book of Hebrews chapter 4. The book of Hebrews chapter 4 where the writer talks about Jesus being superior to Moses. When I was in college at Rutgers University, I took a class in Bible. The Bible as literature. Now the Bible is literature, but it's so much more than literature. And I had a very hostile professor who didn't believe that the Bible was anything more than literature. And I wrote a paper on Jesus being superior to Moses based on the book of Hebrews. Which if you read the book of Hebrews, even casually, you'd be able to understand that Jesus is superior to Moses. So if we respect Moses, we would certainly want to respect Jesus. And one of the reasons why Jesus is superior is because he was speaking every word from the Father in a way that Moses had to meet with God face to face. Jesus, as we'll see, is not only prophet, but also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is God in the flesh. And in this class, I wrote this paper and the professor would mock me and ridicule me and make fun of the, idea, the theological teachings of Scripture. See, he would be selective in taking the Bible as literature, but then he wouldn't want to take it as theology. And as he would be mocking, I'd raise my hand and he would try not to look at me until in the back of the classroom I would have my hand raised up high until it was inevitable. And then sometimes I would sit in the middle of the classroom and raise my hand up high until he had to call for me. And sometimes he would be afraid of having an argument because even though I was not argumentative, I certainly would argue from the scriptures, and then I would have friends of mine come up into the class, Christians who were afraid to raise their voices, and they would say, thank you for raising your voice. I wish I could say that in the class, but I just can't. You never know how your witness for Jesus Christ might encourage other people. You never know how your mouthpiece might be the one that somebody else wishes they had. You got a big mouth? Use it for Jesus. 
Use it for Jesus. Don't be ashamed. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. That's what's being presented here. When you listen to Jesus, you are listening to God himself. There is no daylight, figuratively speaking, between the Son and the Father. When you listen to Jesus, you are listening to the words of Almighty God. This is why the Bible is such an important book. When you read the Word of God, you are listening to the Word of God, literally. You need direction in your life? Of course you do. You need to know what to do in your business? Yes, you do. You need to know what to do in your marriage? Yes, you do. In your parenting? In your being a child with parents? Being out in the neighborhood where you live, you need the direction of God. The days that we're living in are dark. They're dismal. You need to hear from God. And one of the clearest ways that you can hear from God is in the objective revelation that he's given us in the word of God. You don't need a subjective revelation from God, meaning open to interpretation, open to question, open, well, it's your opinion or my opinion, who knows, a dream, a vision. You know anybody who chases down dreams, chases down visions? I'm not saying that God can't speak in dreams and visions. In fact, I go so far, you can email me later this week. I have had dreams and visions. Some of them were due to a bad batch of meat in a taco the night before. But some of them were confirmed with the word of God as being from him. You never launch into uh, having your life revolve around something that is subjective until you know that it is clearly from God. But if you want to follow God, if you want direction for your, for your life, and you need it today, you need direction every single day of your life, every single day of your life, God's given us a book, such a book that man couldn't write if he would, wouldn't write if he could, the Bible, 66 books, dozens of authors written over hundreds of years with a unified theme. There is no other book on the planet like the Bible because it is the Word of God. And so if you you want to hear from God, you make the priority of your life studying the Word of God. And the more you study the Word of God, the more you study the teachings of Jesus, you understand that you're listening to the prophet of God. You're listening to the very words of God. You don't have to wonder if what you're hearing is true. It is true. God loves you so much that he doesn't want you wandering in the wilderness of sin. Doesn't want you wondering what's happening in this world, these dark ages that we're living in. He wants you to have the certainty of a firm foundation from his mouth to your ears to your heart. And you have got the word of God. I've got the word of God. Let's put it into practice. Let's meditate on the word of God. Let's chew on the word of God. So that when the word of God gets into you, God's word comes out of you. You know anybody could use that kind of encouragement? When you hear Jesus speak in his word, you are hearing the very words of God, God's spokesperson, and you will have clarity in your business. You will have clarity in your marriage. You'll have clarity as a parent. you have clarity as a child. As you eat a regular diet from the word of God, you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Romans chapter 12, one and two. You will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. See, we want a microwave. 
We want that bolt of lightning. Zap! We want things to change instantaneously. You know what I've found in my life? Even though there are sometimes lightning bolts, they're far and few in between. God speaks regularly and consistently through his word that the idea is that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. That takes time. How much time? Your whole lifetime. And if you will be committed to the word of God, to listen to the prophet of God, Jesus, who is the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 18. If you will let the word of God dwell richly in you and prioritize the word of God, you will have hope in whatever situation you're facing. You will have insight into whatever you are facing. All you need to do is show up. That's all God asks of you. Go to bed a few minutes earlier so you can get up a little bit earlier. Listen to the Bible on audio. Use the God Factor app. You can drive around and listen to this guy with this awesome voice reading passages of scripture. You can take a break when you're at work and your, your coffee break, whatever it might be, and read a passage of scripture that will encourage you for the rest of your day. And don't be selective in what you read in the Bible. Don't just camp out on the book of, as some of you would say, the book of Palms. <laughs> the book of Psalms. Because then you get a limited understanding of God. Many people have a limited understanding of God because they're only reading certain passages of Scripture. And so when we come to a passage of Scripture in Deuteronomy 18 that says you're to be blameless, that that's God's ultimate objective for your life and mine, that he really does require that we be responsible with our lives and with our choices. We see that that's not something hard that God is asking of us. It's something basic that God is asking of us. So God's transformational process in your life and mine takes time. It takes a whole lifetime. It takes meditating on the words of the prophet Jesus. That when you hear the words of Jesus, when you read the words of Jesus, you're not just hearing the words of an important man. As some would think in the cults that Jesus was a very important man, but not the son of man. You're actually hearing the very words of God and you need to know the word of God to navigate through the difficult waters that life has you swimming in. You need to have hope that Jesus is the spokesperson for God the Father. And you need to have hope that Jesus is not just prophet, but he's also king. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter six. 1 Timothy Chapter six in our Father's word, Jesus is prophet, the prophet of God, speaking the very words of God. But he's not only the prophet of God. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter six, verse 13. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who, is, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. You understand that Jesus is not just a prophet, but he is the King of kings 
and Lord of Lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Now, there are people who are members of the nighttime Bible reading society. They read the Bible at night, lights off, sunglasses on, one eye closed. They get a steady diet of only some portions of Scripture. They're sloppy in how they handle the Word of God. They would look at that latter part, verse 16 of 1 Timothy chapter 6, and they would say, well, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, well, how can that refer to Jesus? Because people saw Jesus. The whole point of this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 6 is to point to the deity of Jesus, that Jesus really is God. And scripture interprets itself. If you don't believe me, look at John chapter 14. Look with me at John chapter 14. Beginning in verse 1, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse 1, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Interesting discourse that's happening here. Jesus said to him, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known that my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Look at the culmination here. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? See, nobody has seen God unless you've seen Jesus To see Jesus is to see God in all his fullness. God became flesh and dwelled among us for a while. The scriptures interpret scripture. The Bible interprets itself. That's why it's important to have a diet from all of the word of God, not just select portions from the word of God to have the Bible interpret itself. Look with me at the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation in chapter 19, A very potent passage of Scripture in Revelation 19. Speaking of Jesus, the Lamb, in verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You better believe that the Bible teaches the deity of Jesus. You better understand that Jesus is not only our prophet, the prophet of prophets, but he's also our King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that when you pray to Jesus, when I pray to Jesus, when we offer ourselves to Jesus, when we give ourselves to Jesus, we are giving ourselves to God. When we withhold from Jesus, when we don't give ourselves fully to Jesus, we are actually withholding ourselves from God himself. And you need to understand that this is who you're praying to. You're praying to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And you need to understand that this, who is, this is the one who is on your side. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Christ is on your side, or more appropriately, I would say you are on God's side. 
That's why the older you get in your walk with Christ, the more you realize it's not Lord help me, it's Lord help me to help you. See, there's a difference. The growing momentum in your life and in mine is not that we are asking God to bless our plans, but that we are asking God for the privilege to help us bless his plans. There is a difference. God wants you to be a kingdom mover and shaker, somebody who is advancing the only kingdom that's gonna endure forever, the one that is built by the King of kings and the Lord of lords, his name is Jesus. And so your prayer as a follower of Jesus Christ needs to be with increasing momentum, increasing significance, increasing passion. Lord, give me the privilege of building your kingdom. Lord, help my agenda to be your agenda. Do not let there be any daylight between my agenda and your agenda. Let my agenda be synonymous with your agenda. So that's why when I'm praying, when you're praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Whatever you want, Lord, I am your servant for Christ's sake. Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's what he is. It's what he'll always be. He's our prophet. He's our king. And now we get to Luke chapter 17 because we will see something about Jesus now that maybe you didn't fully understand, but it's gonna be driven home right here and right now. In Luke 17, beginning in verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. This is what Luke is presenting in his gospel, that Jesus' whole ministry is going to culminate in Jerusalem where he will be rejected by the chief priests, the scribes, the leaders of the nation of Israel. He'll be handed over, he'll be beaten, he'll be flogged, he'll be crucified, and then he will be resurrected from the dead. Jesus' whole ministry culminated in Jerusalem. You want to see what it's like to be a person of single-mindedness, of determination, and of focus, it's Jesus. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. What? Do you understand what's going, what you're about to read here? What, what actually took place here? Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Cleansed of what? The leprosy. So they were following what was commanded in Leviticus chapter 13, that if somebody had a skin disease, they had to be quarantined. They had to pull themselves aside from the rest of the population and cry out to people, unclean, unclean. Sounds like a Monty Python movie, right? Had to warn everybody, don't touch me, don't get close to me, I'm unclean. And I will be unclean until the priest announces that I am clean. And so we're, we're seeing the significance here of Jesus telling them, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, every single one of them was cleansed. Hmm. Verse 15, John, excuse me, verse 15 of Luke 17, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. That's what worship is. Worship is a response to God's initiative. God has done something in the lives of all 10, and only 10% are responding with worship. 
Worship is a response to what God has done in your life. What has God done in your life that's worthy of you? Like this one out of the 10. To fall at the feet of Jesus on your face and to give thanks. This man is so overcome, so overcome by the goodness of God that he recognizes through Jesus that as he's on his way, he looks down and he recognizes, wait a second, I've been changed, I've been transformed. I have to go back and I have to give thanks to God. Thanks to Jesus. Verse 16, he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Now, wait a second here. He's a half-breed. He's somebody who, in the religious world, would be someone who's defiled because the Samaritans had intermarried with non-Jews and they had different places of worship. They didn't necessarily just worship in Jerusalem. In fact, the Jewish people would have looked down on them in John chapter four. Remember, it was the Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And she's the one who asked Jesus, where's the best place to worship? And Jesus helps her understand it's not the place that you worship, it's who you are where you worship. It's whether or not you worship on God's terms. It's significant. This is a teachable moment to the nation of Israel. There were 10 all of them should have been thankful. The implication is that nine of the ten were God's people, God's chosen. And what were they? Frozen. Cold in their hearts toward God. But the Samaritan, the one who was most unlikely a candidate of worshiping and responding to God and getting it is the one who gets it. Verse 17, then Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed, where are, the, where are the nine? Was not one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The interpretation there, the translation, your faith has made you saved. It's not just that this guy is cleansed from his leprosy, it's that his faith is in the living and true God. Look with me at, Leviticus chapter 13. I know you're probably studying the book of Leviticus in your personal devotional time. Many of us in the non-Jewish world and the evangelical community, look with me at Leviticus 13. We think that the book of Leviticus is too complicated, too uh, confusing for us, but look with me. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, verse 2, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priests and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than... The skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. Now, if you were to read the rest of Leviticus 13, if you were to read Leviticus 14, you would see that there are instances where the priest, either Aaron or one of his sons, would then in certain instances, upon examining the individual, be able to declare the person clean, ceremonially clean, where God has done a work. The idea was that they were supposed to authenticate, has God performed 
a miraculous healing in the life of somebody. It doesn't have to be just a leprous disease, but a skin disease where they use this umbrella statement referring to any type of skin condition. And so in Leviticus 13, we see that the role of the priest is to be that person who authenticates a genuine work of God. So Jesus is complying with the law, saying, go show yourselves to the priest. And why would that be significant? Why would Jesus want all 10 of the lepers who were healed miraculously to go and show themselves to the priest? Because Jesus knew that if the priests pronounced these 10 lepers clean, they would then investigate the healing. And if they investigated the healing, the question would be, how did this happen? And it would have been traced back to Jesus. And then there would have been a witness and a testimony for the priests who then would have been able to recognize that Jesus is acting in the role of a priest. That is significant because either Jesus would have been loony or he really would have been Lord and he really would have been operating the way he should have, the way he could have. And this is what we're seeing in the scripture here. We are seeing Jesus operating in the office of a priest, pronouncing cleanliness, pronouncing wholeness, making somebody not just ceremonially clean, clean from leprosy, but also the deeper implication of what that means spiritually. The outward sign of being cleansed reveals the inner faith of true healing. Your faith has made you saved. Your faith has made you well. And we see Jesus operating here as a priest where only the Levitical priest could have been doing what Jesus ends up doing. It was drawing attention to him as a priest. And you know what a priest is? A priest is somebody who acts on behalf of another. Somebody who represents God to mere mortals. You need somebody to represent you before God. You're a mere mortal. I'm a mere mortal. We need somebody to pronounce us clean, to pronounce us whole. And Jesus was, while operating within the law, also helping the priests understand, helping them understand that he is actually the great high priest. Now, if we look at the book of Hebrews, we see this abundantly clear. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, look with me. Hebrews chapter 4, in in verse 14. Hebrews 4.14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Again, the idea of Jesus being fully God, not just a human being, not just a priest in the human understanding of it, but without sin. Are you without sin? Of course you're not. You have sin, but you've got a priest who was and is without sin, one who has been tempted in every way, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Do you have needs this week? you have needs right now? You've got a great high priest. He is prophet. His name is Jesus. He's king of kings and lord of lords. His name is Jesus. His name is written on his thigh. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Look with me at the book of Philippians chapter 2. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. Look with me at what it says here about Jesus. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. Now, this does not mean he just looked like God. It means that he really was God. That's the biblical understanding, not the American 21st century understanding. Though he was truly in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God, God the Father, has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The whole driving point of that passage of Scripture, the whole driving point of John chapter 1 is that, yes, Jesus really is God. He's prophet, speaking the very words of God, and he is God himself, King of kings, Lord of lords, and he is your great high priest, interceding on your behalf, tempted in every way. You might say, nobody can identify with the way that I'm tempted. Jesus can. That's why he went into the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, was tempted by the devil in a face-to-face encounter after encounter. There's nothing that you are going through now, nothing you will ever go through in your marriage, in your workplace, in your parenting, in being a son or a daughter of parents, in being an orphan. You're not an orphan if you know the living and true God. He's adopted you as a son or a daughter. You're not alone. You have a great prophet who speaks the very word of God into your very soul so that you have clarity and know what to do with your life. You have the king of kings and lord of lords who's coming back to take you as his own. You're important to him. And you have a great high priest that no matter what you are facing, no matter how difficult, no matter how much you seem, that nobody else seems to understand you, Jesus understands you. You have a great high priest on your behalf. Membership has its privileges. If you are a son or a daughter of God, if you've accepted what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, you have accepted the prophet. You've accepted the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you've accepted the high priest who is interceding on your behalf, who's laying all of the things that you're going through in the course of your life, all of the things that you don't know how to handle, Jesus knows how to handle them. He knows how to handle them. You can rest in the fact that Jesus has it under control. He's speaking to you the very words of God the Father as the prophet. He's on the throne and will remain there as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Nothing you're going through will shake Jesus and get him off that throne. If you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus is on that throne. He's going to remain there until he gets up to take you back. That's the truth. He's your prophet. He's your King of kings and Lord of lords. He's your great high priest knowing every single weakness you have, every single weakness you're going to have, every single weakness you had. And if you throw yourself on Jesus, you can approach the throne of grace with confidence knowing that he can identify. Stop telling yourself that nobody knows what you're going through. Jesus knows what you're going through. Willingly let himself go through the same temptation and yet was victorious so that he could share with you his victory. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. God loves you so much that he would be 
everything for you. The prophet, the king of kings, and the priest. Get yourself surrendered to Jesus. Let yourself be transformed by the renewing of your mind by receiving what the word of God teaches about him. Let him be your great high priest who can understand everything you're going through and take comfort in the fact that you in Jesus is a majority. It's not a matter of having more people on your side. If you've got the king of kings and you're on his side, you win. You got a high priest on your side like that? You win. No weapon formed against you will prosper. No weapon formed against you will prosper provided you are on the Lord's side. The best way to be on the Lord's side is to be in the word of God, listening to every word that Jesus speaks, that he still speaks. God is speaking to you through his word, the Bible, because Jesus is the prophet, the spokesperson for God the Father. Jesus is on that throne, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's never coming off until he comes back to take you as his own and to put his arms around you and to embrace you. And Jesus is your great high priest, interceding on your behalf because what you're going through in your life matters to God. It matters to God what's happening in your life. He cares about you more than I have the ability to express it with words. How inadequate are words to express how much God cares for you? That he would give you a prophet. That he would give you the king of kings himself. And he would give you the high priest. That in Jesus you have all three in one. All three in one. So that whatever you're going through in the course of your life, right now, whatever you're about to go through in the course of your life, you don't have to worry because God has given you a prophet, a priest, and the King of Kings. You've been listening to the Michael Anthony Bible Teaching Podcast. If you enjoyed this message, you'll love Michael Anthony's Courage Matters Podcast where he focuses on leadership, relationships, and world events. To learn more, visit CourageMatters.com or download the free Courage Matters app. Interested in requesting Michael for an interview, guest appearance, or as a keynote speaker for your event? Click the Invite tab on the Courage Matters app or on CourageMatters.com. In the meantime, keep looking up. There's no place else worth looking. Mm -hmm.